You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today our guest speaker is Coffee Ampadu, general partner at Scoot Ventures. And this episode will mainly talk about consumer products and SaaS companies and what metrics should they look at prior to fundraising and what metrics should identify if they're doing a good job or a bad job. So Coffee, I'll last kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Scoot Ventures. Okay. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Kofi. Um founder and general partner of Skew Ventures. It's a pre-seed venture fund focused on consumer product startups. Um, the fund has a commitment to construct a portfolio that's at least 50% black founder-led companies. Um, before Skew Ventures, I have had over 10 years of experience in the consumer product space as an operator, as a strategy consultant, as a founder and now as an investor and advisor. So I think I'm bringing a unique uh, perspective to the space of investing, specifically in CPG, just because I've sat on multiple sides of the table. Mm-hmm. That's plenty of background on Skid Ventures, but how about yourself? <laughs> just a little bit yeah. more. Oh, just a little bit more. So I mentioned I, I was an operator. I actually started out my career working at Kraft Foods. I was in the ops and engineering department of Kraft Foods. I was a packaging equipment engineer. I was there for about four years and quickly realized that I wasn't really a decision maker. I think folks that know about the CPG space, it's very marketing driven. So there were a bunch of marketers that would tell me what to do, right? And I kind of went to go do it. So I realized I wasn't a decision maker, left um, Kraft Foods, to go to business school. I went to Carnegie Mellon to get my MBA and really went there for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I was lacking the business acumen that I needed to make a career change, right? As someone who had um, who had a degree really just in um, packaging science, there wasn't really a lot of options for me. So went to business school, got the business acumen that I needed and I went to strategy. I went into strategy consultant. I was working at Accenture and at Accenture kind of continued out the path of working with um, consumer product companies. I was, uh, I was a strategy consultant really focused on big CPG and big retail clients. Um, it was a lot of great experience for me. I also then quickly realized that I have no ownership, right? So I left Kraft because I, I didn't make decisions. Now I decided I wanted to leave Accenture because I really had no ownership as a as a consultant and what better way to get ownership than to become a founder. So really um, when I left Accenture, I was working part-time at my first startup with a co-founder kind of doing that on nights and weekends. So I left Accenture to really do that on the full-time basis. It was actually a beverage brand called H2 Mellon. So mm-hmm. really left Accenture for entrepreneurship, um, worked on that brand for a couple of years. Um, we had some early successes, but ultimately we decided to kind of wind down that company just because a competitor came into the space that just had a better brand and a very similar product. But it was a lot of learnings there and a, um, a lot of um, network that I built through that process. There were a lot of founders in my network that felt comfortable kind of coming to me for advice and 
which kind of led me into startup advisory and now uh, as, a, as an investor as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. So here I want to talk just a little bit about what you just mentioned, a better brand coming in in a space with a better product, basically. How that's one of the questions that early stage founders ask a lot, specifically when they try to criticize other early founders projects. And one of the questions is like, OK, so why wouldn't Google or Facebook go out and do the exact same project because they have the capabilities of doing that? Usually my response is like, why would they, if you're doing a good job, they will just buy you. Do you think that's the case or should people actually be worried about this potential competition? I don't think you should be worried about potential competition. I think your focus, whenever you're building any kind of company, be it a CPG company, be it a, a technology company, your focus should be the consumer, right? So if you're focused on the consumer and your end customer, you just want to provide them with the best solution available, right? So being that you're focused on providing with the best solution available, I think indirectly you're going to be aware of the competition, right? Because the competition is essentially an alternate solution to what you're providing, right? So if you're able to just specifically talk to your customers, kind of deep dive on them, uh, understand where their real pain points are, Right, and how you can uh, quote unquote delight them or provide them with an exp exponentially better solution. I think you're uh, you're in a good place, right? So I I I made the mistake of, and my co-founder and I both made the mistake of, we watched our competitor very closely, right? But we were too worried about the competitor and not we didn't spend enough time really focusing on our customers. So at the time we had also a direct to consumer aspect to our beverage brand. So our customers being obviously the end consumer that actually buys the beverage and then the retailers, cause we had an omni-channel strategy as well. So the retailers that we were selling a product to, right? We, we should have focused more, spent a lot more energy focused on those, um, those two touch points and figuring out how we can provide them with a better customer experience, right? To increase loyalty, increased velocity and then uh, we would have probably still been around today instead of kind of closely watching competitors and not um, not really delighting the, the end, end user mm -hmm. right i'm actually a pretty big fan of stalking your competitors i think you just can learn so much great stuff from your competitors analysis so i would heavily recommend anyone thinking of starting a new company first giving like a few hours per competitor uh, to, to make good research on them in the field that you want to work in. Uh, but let's talk yeah, about... I would, I would also add, I would also add though, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's good to be aware of your competitor. Mm -hmm. right? Just don't, don't obsess over them, right? Yeah. Uh, I think the obsession point should be with your end user, right? Obsessive mm -hmm. over who's going to actually transact and give you capital for what you're building. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the pandemic now and what's going on in the world of consumer tech and also SaaS businesses. What do you see? What are the major trends that you see there going? Um, so I can, again, I can specifically talk about like the consumer product space. Um, what I'm seeing is obviously with the, with the pandemic, we're seeing specifically um, e-commerce as a share of all retail has drastically increased. Right, and I think what this is, what this is going to do is we see. I see two things, right? This is an awakening for the big CPG companies who 
have previously not invested a lot in kind of their e-commerce services, um, actually now kind of doubling down and uh, um, investing more in it, right? We saw it back in May, Pepsi actually, um, Pepsi actually launched um, two direct-to-consumer sites. One was called snacks.com and the other one was called pantryshop.com, right? So the, the two things that I see coming out of this is there's going to be increased competition um, in the DTC space, right? Because now you're no longer just competing with just other startups. You're now also competing with um, established brands like a PepsiCo, um, and the space is already crowd, was already crowded pre-COVID and pretty expensive to launch. I think it's just going to get a little bit more expensive. And um, so the second thing that I see is founders who are now launching CPG startups have to think outside the box when it comes to customer acquisition strategies, right? Um, those traditional channels like Facebook ads, Instagram ads that they were used to, they were used to kind of purchasing ads on, it's going to get a lot more expensive because now you have folks who have a lot more dry powder coming into the space to spend. So the ones that I, I think we're going to see a lot of founders being really creative around how do we really get customers, right? And you're already kind of seeing this with a, a content first approach, right? So trying to build community through providing insightful content, I think Glossier, paved the way for this um, when they did it. So uh, you see you see a lot of folks trying to um, go down that path and you need to be authentic to your brand to really be able to kind of build, build on that strategy to build a captive customer base to really go after. So I think the pandemic just kind of sped up a lot of things that were gonna be happening over the last five years. They've just now, it's just, it's just served as an accelerant where those things are gonna be happening a lot faster now. Right, right, yeah, yeah, great advice and uh, good, good points here. Um, where do you see this space heading after the pandemic is over? Do you think something's going to change there? So, like, you know, once the cure is there, once we are not afraid that the whole world will be wiped out with this uh, pandemic, what do you think will happen in that field? Will something change there at all? Yeah, so um, I see, so I think before the pandemic, early January, I think, uh, when Casper IPO'd and Brandless shut down, they're back up and running now because someone someone purchased the company. But around early, uh, like early um, January, a lot there was a lot of talk around the over overcapitalization of consumer product companies in the startup space. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what what we saw was, I think, a, a lot of VCs funded these companies chasing the next um, Dollar Shave Club, chasing the next Warby Parker. And a lot of these startups, you know, took that capital. And what they ended up doing with that capital was just buying a bunch, um, um, buying up marketing, right? So mm -hmm. if you lived in New York City, you saw a bunch of, uh, you saw a bunch of subway ads you saw for DTC companies that there was really, there was just really a lot of marketing spent in the space. I think VCs and investors quickly realized that what these startups and founders were doing was they were just subsidizing the product, right? Like they were buying customers. And I think what's, what's happened now during the pandemic is um, capital is hard to come by from an investment standpoint. So the companies that survive 
have to be a lot more frugal with the capital that they have. They have to be a lot more wiser with the capital that they have. So we're going to see a couple of things happening. Uh, I think we're going to see more marketing efficiency, right? So not necessarily subsidizing uh, your products, uh, right? You're actually you're smartly spending your money on how to on how to market your product to the right customer. You're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. And then we're also going to see optimized distribution, right? I think pre uh, pre pandemic, uh, we saw obviously DTC was the way to like launch. I think we're going to see a lot more um, CPG companies launch them with an omni uh, um, omni channel strategy in mind where they're partnering up with maybe brick and mortar locations now that they're going to get better deals. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to see a lot more capital efficiency in the space than we have in prior years. I'm, I'm hopeful of that. Right. Right. And by the way, for those who don't know what CPG means, it's consumer packaged goods, right? Did I, did yeah. I, did, all right, cool. I was not hundred percent sure that, that I, I remember that acronym completely, but my yeah, so it, it has different. It, they're, they're different. You could say consumer product goods, consumer packaged goods. So it's all mm -hmm. it's all the same. Perfect, perfect, cool. Um, so let's talk about the difference between actually consumer products and SaaS companies. So in my understanding, I don't actually see the exact boundary there. So like, what's the major difference between consumer product and SaaS company? Couldn't they both be yeah. the same? So can consumer product be a SaaS? Um, it can't. Um, so consumer product company, think about it as um, something that goes to a single consumer. So it's um, the categories would be like food and beverage, clothing and apparel, um, any kind of home goods. So any kind of household cleaners, kitchenware, and so forth. The, uh, that's what's considered um, CPG uh, consumer pro um, products. And then SaaS is uh, obviously software as a service. So that's more around the software that you're selling to enterprise clients or um, small businesses. Right, so that's, I think that's the main distinction. And I've always kind of held the belief that CPG companies are a little harder to build than SaaS companies. And the reason is, I think, as a CPG founder, and I'm also obviously a little biased because I was a former CPG founder, when you're really launching a CPG company, you need to have base knowledge around a lot of cross-functional activity, right? So you need to have base knowledge around supply chain, base knowledge around um, sales, marketing, right? And just product, um, the product development itself. And outside of that base knowledge too, the way you sell your product, the sales cycle is a little bit trickier, right? So if you're, sell you're selling a product that goes to a specific consumer, let's say you launch DTC first, you're literally collecting I, uh, you're collecting literally a dollar at a time, right? As opposed to if you build a SaaS company, you're, the, sales, the sales cycle for SaaS companies are a little longer because you're really trying to sell your product to uh, a company, right, uh, uh, enterprise client. Um, you're able to, subscription models in SaaS are more prevalent, right? The, um, in the CPG space, they're not as prevalent. So I think the sales cycles are a little different. You're also collecting, the currencies that you're collecting for CPG is in smaller increments. 
right? So that makes it obviously a lot harder. And being that you're literally catering to a specific consumer, you need to constantly delight that consumer with a great customer experience, right? So all of these, I think, uh, intricacies makes it a little tougher to really build a, a CPG company. And then just in general, I also think um, the VC landscape, right? Uh, a lot of VCs are not used to investing in CPG companies, just don't know how to kind of value, value the company. So there's a lot of murkiness there where in SaaS, you know, if you hit, if you hit a certain um, a number in annual recurring revenue, you're quote unquote ready to raise a series A or series B. We don't have that mm-hmm. in, in the CPG. We don't have that in the CPG landscape, right? It's you're figuring it out as you go along because it's it's still pretty murky. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's talk about recommendations for consumer product founders. So I recently interviewed a founder who works in that field, and his recommendation was basically, you know, try going more uh, standard or more like old school funding ways in terms of you know get some uh, improve your credit line with your bank. Uh, try to you know pull uh, credit lines from different banks, mix them together, and you know make some nice nice moves there. What's your recommendations in those terms? So, what's your recommendations to founders who are working in the consumer te- uh, consumer space in terms of fundraising for their company? Yeah. So the way I think about the CPG space when it comes to fundraising is you should not have a fundraising mindset. When I say you shouldn't have a fundraising mindset, you shouldn't be the type of founder that says, I'm going to raise this round, and then 24 months later, I'm going to raise another round, and then another 36 months later, I'll raise another round. Because it's not, I don't think that's how you build a successful CPG company, being that from a CPG standpoint, you're literally, your business model should be as clean as possible, right? You're making widgets and selling widgets, right? So if you raise, let's say you raise a pre-seed round and you raise a seed round, theoretically, you sh- if you have a great company, right, you probably only need to raise capital to fund inventory, right? And as that founder that you interviewed mentioned, there are, plenty, there are a lot of great services around like funding inventory, right, that um, founders can kind of leverage and utilize. I think my main advice around fundraising with um, CPG startups is make sure you're building a sustainable business. Make sure you're building a company that if you raise around today, you're not thinking about raising around a couple of years down the line. It's literally you're raising around today to get to a point where customers, right, are funding your company, right? And then if you actually do need to get capital for inventory or capital for marketing, there are non-dilutive sources that you can actually kind of tap into as well. Absolutely. I'm totally on the same page here with you and would definitely recommend using the non-dilutive services, I mean, non-dilutive capital sources to fund the consumer products focused companies. So uh, definitely make your research on that. And to do that, by the way, you can go on fundraisingradio.com and looking at alternative sources of capital for startups. There's just a lot of uh, fun uh, sources of capital discussed there. Some of them I've never heard before, actually. <laughs> so do that. And let's let's go back to the major topic of our today's episode, which is metrics and what metrics should consumer uh, facing products look at the most. So 
can you name like the top three or top five metrics that you would recommend founders in those fields like heavily tracking? Yeah, so um, since I invest pretty early on um, at the pre-seed stage, I'm really looking at a few metrics because there's not a lot of data points early on. But one of the metrics that I like to I like to ask founders about is your net promoter score, right? So uh, net promoter score allows you to see how people feel about you on a scale of one to ten. And the reason I like this as as a metric that I I really ask about is it. It tells me a couple of things, right? Is the founder actually talking to the uh, to their customers, right? To figure out how to really improve on what they're doing. Another thing that I like to um, I like to really look at is around retention or your repeat rate, right? So if you're building, and it obviously it depends on what product it is, right? Like if you're selling mattresses, you're not gonna have a high repeat rate because people don't buy mattresses that often, right? But Depend, depending on what the product is, it's your repeat rate. It's obviously how many times are people kind of coming back um, to buy what, what what you're selling. And if you have any kind of offline distribution, if you happen to be a food and beverage company and you have offline distribution, I love to look at velocity. So velocity is how quickly are you are you turning in stores, right? And this is important because uh, a lot of retailers literally don't build new shelves, right? Like they're utilizing the same square footage each time. So if your product has a lot of quick turns, like they're probably gonna give you more face-ins, right? And you have more opportunity to make revenue. And then uh, obviously I'm also looking at your customer acquisition costs. The reason this is important to me in the early early days is I wanna, I, I mentioned um, the bad behavior of companies kind of over-marketing and subsidizing customers. I really want to make sure that um, the founders at the early stage have have maybe figured out a unique way to acquire customers outside of the traditional we're putting up a Facebook ad or we're doing an Instagram ad because that that space gets crowd gets crowded and expensive food come really quickly. So really looking at these these things at the early stage to just ensure that you really have a good product, you have some level of distribution if you if if you uh, your post launch and customers actually want to keep buying your product and you're not over-marketing the customers. Mm -hmm. Great, those are actually great metrics. And the first one that you mentioned, net customer promotion rate? So it's net, uh, it's net, it's net promoter score. So net promoter score. It's essentially, yeah, it's essentially a, the percentage of people who like your product minus the percentage of um, people who are not a fan of it, so percentage of promoters minus your detractors. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, listeners, listeners can kind of Google that and learn a little bit more about it, but I think it's a really powerful metric, right, which indicates, um, okay, what are you doing well, right? And it also gives you a chance to really talk to the folks who may not be fans of the product that you have right now to figure out other ways you can kind of iterate on the product and make it much better. Right, right. And it's again, net promoter score. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it's one of those things that come up on the website and asking me like, on a scale from one to 10, how much likely would you recommend this product to your friend? Is that the thing that yeah. you're talking to? Yeah. Got yes. it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
always fill out those just to be nice to the founders of the companies. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the most important metrics specifically for you. So when you're reviewing a company and you are thinking if I want to work with this company, what is the major metric that you're looking at? Is that the net promoters score? So yes, one of the major ones that I'm looking at is the net promoter score. Uh, again, I think it's an indicator. So I really look at I really think, um, and just to take a step back and let you know why I'm looking at these metrics, um, when I look at a consumer products company, uh, consumer products, the space itself, I really think uh, companies that are successful are really well, I really do well at optimizing three things, product quality, marketing efficiency, and distribution, right? So do you have a good product? Uh, do you t are you efficient in telling people about that great product? And are you where the people need to be when they want to grab that product, right? So being able to kind of optimize on all those, all those three things, I think makes a successful um, consumer products company. And at the early stage, I want to see signs that those three things can be optimized, right? So net promoter score, the reason I, it's important to me is it's a good indicator into your product quality, right? It's, it's initial customer feedback to say, this thing is better than what my alternatives are and I'm willing to tell a friend about it, right? Um, so that's very important to me. And then if you have any kind of um, offline distribution, I'm also looking into velocity because it's an indicator of your future distribution, right? How quickly do you move in stores? Is there a reason you're moving so quickly in stores? And then um, also looking at your CAC, right? Um, again, at the early stages, CAC is CAC is a little a little difficult to fine tune because you're probably mm -hmm. trying a lot of different experiments. But yep. just it, it's just an indicator to me as to what kind of unique customer acquisition strategies do you have, right? Um, so kind of looking at these three things are. So the most important to me, obviously, there's second orders to these metrics, right? That allows me to at least triangulate to see is this a company or is this a startup that we can we can help grow and optimize for product quality, marketing efficiency, and distribution. Mm -hmm. Got it. Nice. So let's move on to the two last questions. One of the questions is, where the three must-have points on the pitch deck of a startup? So when you're reviewing a pitch deck of a startup in the consumer product space or SaaS space, what are the major three things that you're looking to see on that pitch deck? Yeah, so uh, first thing I'm looking for is, is this a clear opportunity, right? As in, are you solving some kind of pain point? Are customers unhappy with the current solution? I'm also looking for your custom acquisition strategy, as I mentioned. As I mentioned, it's, it's expensive to utilize traditional channels. So what's your customer acquisition strategy? Have you, have you built something that's unique, insightful, that can scale, right? And then um, the third thing I'm really also looking for is any kind of preliminary feedback on what you're building, right? And that preliminary feedback goes back to that net promoter score that I mentioned, right? So it's, are people, do people even care enough to give you feedback, right? If you launch a product and you put out a, a net promoter score and no one fills it out, it's, it just means that they're, uh, they're not really passionate about, about your product either or, uh, one way or the other. 
So really looking for these three things to give me some insights into how, from a funding perspective, the capital that I provide, all the fund provide, is going to be used, right, and how the fund can also provide some value add to help you grow the company. Right, right. That's actually, those are really great points and definitely focus on that. So we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's the one thing that you would like the, found, the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Um, if you are starting a de- uh, uh, consumer products company, the first thing I think you should do is think about actually launching a product instead of thinking about fundraising get a product in the hands of, even if it's just a handful of consumers, get a product in the, in the hands of a handful of consumers and ask them what they think about the product, right? And I think a lot of times founders are launching products with a fundraising mindset in mind instead of launching a product with a consumer, uh, kind of a customer acquisition strategy in mind. So that would be my, my first thing. Let's figure out what your unique um, customer acquisition strategy is to then to be able to do that, put the put a product in the hands of a customer and find out why they like the product or why they hate the product and, and it just make mm-hmm. the product better. Absolutely. And speaking of the you know fast release of the product, if you are not sure that's gonna work, I just interviewed a guy whose app was one of the top five most downloadable apps on Facebook. And he got over a million users in less than two weeks after he deployed his app which he was developing for two weeks only. So like 1 million users in a month. So definitely check it out, just a previous episode. So uh, my call to action is go to the description of this episode. I'll leave a link to Scoot Ventures, to Coffee's LinkedIn, and to that episode that I just mentioned. And have a great day, everyone.